listening to the Sunday Sermon Podcast of the Savior Community Church in Rockland County, New York. To learn more, go to SaviorCC.com. You know, Jesus rising from the grave, and this is a, a, a big statement to make, but Jesus rising from the grave means that there's nothing hopeless in the life of a follower of Jesus Christ. It's, there's, just, there's just no way. <laughs> when we're talking about uh, the life we're called to live, when we're talking about the hope that we have in Jesus, what's more hopeless than death itself? Not momentary death, but buried in a grave death. And here's Jesus buried in a grave, unjustly murdered by his peers uh, for being too wonderful, for doing too many miracles, for attracting too much attention, for giving too many strong messages of grace to his people. Uh, what's more hopeless than that? And, and just, just think, you know, uh, so, sometimes you, know, you have a bad week or something bad happens, you start to think the, the world starts to feel more hopeless, right? <laughs> you see evil around you. You just start to feel, oh, well, you know, what can I do? What can I change? What impact can I have? Imagine what the disciples went through. They had become uh, the closest of brothers with this miracle man, Jesus, who loved them, who put up with them, who taught them, who instructed them, who lived with them. You know, he, he uh, woke up, went to sleep, ate, uh, uh, lived, lived his life with these guys. And their hope is he's going to take over the world for good. He's, he's going to be a king like no other. He's going to conquer everything that's wrong with the world, restore the kingdom to Israel, make the days of David and King Solomon seem like uh, just a forgettable moment in time. And instead, he goes through a mock trial and is murdered by his own people. Imagine the, the depths of hopelessness that the disciples must have felt. Imagine the anger and frustration and fear. Here you have uh, an untouchable miracle man that nobody can take down, and then he just gets murdered, and he doesn't even try to stop anybody who's doing it. Think of the hopelessness that they must have felt. And then think of the incredible relief. Think of how different everything must have seemed to them when they found out that, in fact, uh, that, that, that was all, Jesus was just letting that happen because he had some work to do. <laughs> and instead, he breaks out of the grave. Even dying can't take this man down. Think, think of how from one moment, and this is what I'm getting at, think of how from one moment to the next, how their perspective on the world must have changed. One moment they followed a weirdo who maybe was a little crazy, and he got murdered. The next moment, they find out the one they've been following is, there's, there's no way to exaggerate who he is. And, and that's what we see in the New Testament. His own followers, write th the people who knew him best, write things about him that there's, uh, you can't take it any further than what they said about this man that they knew. I've said that about John chapter 1. We've said that about uh, uh, some uh, sections in Colossians and in Philippians and many other parts of the Bible that the people who really knew Jesus and walked with him said things about him uh, for which there's no, um, there, there's no room to exaggerate. 
Right? When you say that the one that you knew and walked with, that through him all things were created for him and by him, there's no place to take that to exaggerate. You can't make that any bigger. Right? And those are the kinds of words that people who knew Jesus uh, in his day and, and un, up until this day uh, say about him. So think of how that hope would have vanished in that moment of his death and how hope would have been so richly, powerfully restored through his resurrection. And that is our inheritance today as followers of Jesus Christ. That, that we follow a God who showed us that nothing in this world is bigger than the hope we have when we put our trust in Jesus. Because Jesus himself conquered the unconquerable. Jesus himself overcame the one thing that seemingly can bring anybody down, and that's death. And he overcame it. And this morning, uh, we're talking about... <laughs> this is, you know, year in, year out, you're, you're in church and you talk about God, you talk about Jesus. Every once in a while, you've got to shake yourself and realize what you're, what you're really saying. Right? We're talking today, 2,000 years later. I was going to say thousands, not a thousand. Thousands of years later, we're talking about being closer to Jesus. At this, this man, Jesus, so... Is that me making noise? We don't know what it is? Okay. <laughs> this man, Jesus, so, so powerful, what he accomplished and who he is and what he represents is so powerful. We're not talking about learning more about him or learning from his philosophy. We're talking about getting to know him himself. And he's someone that even now we can know and enter into deeper and deeper relationship with uh, through talking to him. <laughs> through entering into relationship with him uh, through prayer, entering into deeper relationship with him through his word, getting to know his love through his people, but also directly in prayer. And what a, what a, uh, a powerful thing. I was watching an interview this morning uh, with a rather unconventional Christian guy, and someone was asking him how to get through things. It was a, a heavy metal uh, guy. He was a heavy metal star. And the guy was like, well, how do you get through things like that? And he goes, it's through prayer. And, you know, in between him being like this gruff metal god, he was like, oh, you pray. <laughs> and I was like, here's this like the toughest of all people, you know, the, the, the sharpest of all people. How do you get through tragedy? How do you get through life? He says, you pray. And I know I happen to know this guy's a believer. And, you know, to the interviewer, probably didn't mean that much. But... And to many of us, it might not mean that much, but what do we mean when we're saying we're going to pray? We mean we're going to enter into the presence of God in the name of Jesus and enjoy the comfort, power, and strength that's to be found in relationship with Him. And how can we enjoy that? Because He defeated death on our behalf. Because He went to the cross for us so that you and I could sit here today and rightfully, with confidence, not casually, but simply and with confidence talk about knowing Jesus. And uh, our series, Closer to Jesus, we've, we've gone through this, uh, this, this series. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to recap it a little bit. Uh, but I'll tell you what I want to talk about today. And, and our title of our message is, uh, <laughs> is, there it is. Our title of our message, we're talking about Jesus, my risen hope. And uh, today, what, what I want to do, I mean, you know, especially on Easter, my instinct is to try to tell you everything that there is to know about the resurrection. Because I'm a teacher, that's just kind of my, my way of thinking. And I very deliberately, I even wrote it in my notes. That, uh, In fact, let me read it from my notes. <laughs> and today, what I really want to do is describe to you my risen hope, Jesus. 
from a, a personal perspective. Of course, looking at the scriptures, but just trying to share with you, and, and many of you know him yourselves personally, but I want to I describe Jesus as this person that I know. Uh, I, I want to talk about what he's like and what he does in my life, what he does in a person's life, and I want to celebrate him with you together. Um, you know, they say, people always say the, 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 people always sort of come around and talk about how great somebody was after they die, right? I heard somebody say recently, like, man, we should celebrate people like before they die. <laughs> we should let them know how much we appreciate them, and how great they were, and, and what they've contributed to our lives before they die. The, the thing with Jesus is, uh, there's no waiting for Jesus to die to celebrate how great he is. <laughs> he, he already did that, and he came back. And so uh, when we share about Jesus, the beauty is it, it's, it's like a memorial and an introduction all at once. We're talking about, about who this, this man Jesus is in our lives and how wonderful he is. But then after the memorial, you get to meet him. You know what I mean? You hear about somebody say, wow, this is a great guy. I didn't like him that much, but these people seem to think he was wonderful, you know, like a funeral or something. Well, with Jesus, you find out what a wonderful uh, uh, person Jesus Christ, God the Son, is, and then you can meet him, right? Or if you already know him, we're always gaining a deeper appreciation of who he is in our lives. And so that's really my goal today in the next few minutes is just to talk to you about Jesus, my risen hope. But I, I do want to recap just real quick. Our series is called Closer to Jesus. And we took, we took our time through Lent uh, to talk about getting closer to Jesus because we think that's what Lent is really uh, all about. It's about entering into deeper relationship with Jesus. I just want to check my microphone thing here. Okay, cool. I thought I turned it off. We, we want to take that time to contemplate uh, how we can actually take full advantage of everything that Jesus did so that we could know him. And so the first thing we talked about, our first message, these aren't in the slides, by the way, was being closer to Jesus, my God. And we learned that God's intentions toward us have been made clear to us in the coming of Jesus. That God is the one who wants to be closer to us, and any effort that we make to get closer to God should have that truth as its underlying assumption. If you want to be closer to God, if you're a person who's sitting here today, and you're saying, I want to be closer to God, uh, the first thing you should assume is that way more than you want to be closer to God, God, God has made it clear that he wants to be close to you. That's a powerful thing, right? There's no doubt there. It's, it's not like when you're in high school and you're like considering asking a girl out, but you're not sure she's into you, right? It's, 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 it's a, a, an invitation written in the stars that you would enter into a closer relationship with God. The second, we said, we, said God, uh, we want to be closer to Jesus, my brother. And Jesus came to be with us so that we could eventually go to be with him. Listen to his words, John 14. He says this, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself there that where I am, you may be also. And that verse, the, the impact, one of the, the things, one of the, the impacts that we take from that verse is this idea that, um, you know, we could think of it as Jesus came and he's so wonderful and now people want to be close to him because he's so wonderful. Absolutely true. But what we see is Jesus is talking that way 
about us. He's describing his own personal desires as wanting to bring us to himself to, to be with him. It's a mutual affection. And, you know, I, I think far too often, and, and this is where uh, the message of the gospel in Christianity turns into like a, a religion, religion as a dirty word, where we lose sight of the fact that it was Jesus' idea to bring all of us to be close with him in this life now and then forever in eternity. And once you, take, once you take that out of your thinking and the way that you approach the gospel of Jesus Christ, you begin to lose sight of the whole thing. You become a, a, a citizen of some society that believes a certain dogma instead of a member of the family, a royal citizen, son or daughter in God's kingdom, which is very different. Then we talk about being closer to Jesus my king. And usually when we talk about a king, we talk about our loyalty to the king and our duty to serve the king. But on that Sunday, we talked about the king's sense of duty to serve us. And that what defines Jesus and, and really the things that set Jesus out as our king was not our call to service him or to serve him, but his commitment to serve us. And uh, we talked about five things. We talked about the fact that, or five, five reasons to draw closer to Jesus, our King. And there are five beautiful reasons. We should draw closer to Jesus, my King, because He rescued me from sin, from death. He because He created me for Himself. Or actually created for Jesus to enjoy us and for us to enjoy Him. My King holds me together. He said he holds the universe. The Bible says he holds the universe together. He's the mysterious power that holds all things together. His name is Jesus. How much more should all of us recognize that he holds us and holds our lives together? My king bled and died for me. And then fifth, we said, my king, we should draw closer to Jesus, my king, because he rec reconciled me to himself with a personal purpose. He has, he has a purpose for each one of us. We looked at that in the scriptures. And then last week, oh, we had two more because I forgot about Good Friday. We talked about being closer to Jesus, my priest. And we said not a, guy, not a priest as in a guy with a collar or a pastor of a church, but a priest as in an ancient Jewish priest who does the work of a butcher and offers blood sacrifices for the sins of his people. And then we picked that up in talking about being closer to Jesus, my sacrifice on Good Friday, where Hebrews says this, He appeared once for all at the end of the age to put away sin. You want to give me the handheld? Yeah, I don't know where it is. I put it somewhere. <laughs> Thanks, bud. <laughs> he says, He appeared once for all at the end of the age to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. It says there that he bore the sins of many. Thanks, buddy. All right, sorry. We, we don't know what's going on with this microphone. It just does that sometimes. And so the difference with Jesus, he's, he's priest who offers the sacrifice, but what's so incredible is the sacrifice he offers is himself. That when he enters the Holy of Holies as if the high priest on the Day of Atonement, he's not entering into a, an, a copy of God's throne on earth, and, and that's really what the temple is about. It's, it's about uh, entering into the presence of God. It's symbolic of entering before the presence of God. The Bible says that th these things represent or they're copies of the realities that exist in heaven. And so the Bible says, 
For once, it's not an earthly priest representing the people who goes into a copy that represents the real, but on Christ's cross, he really did enter in to the presence of God to offer a permanent, final, perfect sacrifice once for all for our sins. And so Jesus is the priest and the sacrifice at the same time, which is such a powerful thought. That here you have someone representing us before God. That's what ancient priests did. They stood between the people and God. The people have sin. The people have needs. The people have offerings. The priests would go and carefully represent the people before God, doing it the way God prescribed so that the people could have their sins forgiven and could present their offerings and do all those things. Jesus becomes one of us, God the Son, and represents us fully, completely, perfectly before God once and for all. And what does he do? He tears down all barriers that exist between us and God. In fact, the Bible records that when Jesus died on the cross, a tearing takes place in the temple. The curtain that covered the most holy place tears open from top to bottom, symbolic of the fact that there's no longer anything keeping regular everyday people from the very presence of a holy God. Now, here's, here's what that means for you and I. It means that instead of being people who have to uh, cautiously, scrupulously sort of tiptoe around God in the way that we approach Him, we've had the most dangerous thing possible taken care of, our sin. And what makes it, you read throughout the Old Testament, people go in the presence of God and people die by accident. And, you know, it's terrifying, like Indiana Jones. Remember the Ark of the Covenant? Remember all, all the Nazis get killed by the, remember, right? It didn't really happen. At least that's what the CIA wants us to think. It didn't really happen. But, <laughs> but <laughs> sort of helpful in giving us an understanding of what we're dealing with when we're dealing with the presence of God. He's powerful. The Bible says he's a consuming fire. And, and a consuming fire is not good enough to describe what God is like. The Bible says that, that Moses saw um, the afterglow of God's presence. It's translated that it's seeing the back of God, but it really means something like the after effects. In other words, God says, hey, Moses, and this is in, in uh, I forget where it is, but, but he, says, <laughs> he says, Moses, you go over there, I'll show up, and then when I leave, you can come out and see what's left. Because Moses requests to see God. Right, this is Exodus 32 or something like that. And uh, God shows up. He disappears. At least this is what some scholars think the text is telling us. Moses sees that after effects of God's presence and glows for a while. <laughs> That's how powerful God's presence is. And so Jesus dies on the cross and the veil is torn before the holy place in, in the temple, the holy of holies. This symbolic that there's no longer anything keeping us from entering into the presence of God. Such a powerful... And what does that mean? It means that our sin and impurity, all the things that would keep us from God, have been fully, finally dealt with by Jesus on His cross. So, uh, today, we're talking about Jesus, closer to Jesus, my risen hope. And I have three points that I hope will be pretty, pretty simple and straightforward. 
uh, though they're wordy and <laughs> silly, but this is how I want to describe it. So closer to Jesus, my risen hope. Here's our first one. And I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1 for a couple minutes, and you could do that. Or you can go on our website to the live page. You'll see on SaviorCC.com, there's a page you can tap on called Live, and that'll bring you to our sermon notes and all the details you can follow along there. All right. So <laughs> here's our first point. I want to be closer to Jesus. My risen hope, Jesus, is an eager, gracious embracer of sinful people. I looked it up. Embracer, it's a real word. It's one who embraces. Jesus is an eager, my risen hope is an eager, gracious embracer of sinful people. So remember what I said. I wanted to share with you what my risen hope Jesus is like. Uh, this is one of the first things you need to understand about him. That he is eager, gracious, to embrace sinful people. Not uh, reluctantly willing to embrace sinful people. That gets it wrong. If you think God is holy, but reluctantly, through religion, embraces some people when he feels like it, you've got the gospel almost exactly backwards. The Bible tells us that God is eager to embrace sinful people. So let me break that down. First, let's talk a little bit about his eagerness. And for this, I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verse 5, and really just a couple words in verse 4. But it says this, In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. So it says, in love, in, in, in other words, it, it's, it's in a context of love for his people. God has love for people. And it's in love that he predestined, he determined that he would adopt us as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. So you have a context of love. The result is adoption. And, and we're, ta we're not talking like sight unseen infant adoption. <laughs> we're like, you're assuming the baby's going to be nice. We're talking about, this is like the adoption where you go, to the, you go and you, you adopt like the gnarly looking kid that's been there like a long time and he's got like tattoos and, and you're like, I want that. I want the kid over there who's smoking in the corner. That's the one. I want that one. Because that's what we, we have this image. I'm sorry. We have this image in the Bible. He predestined us for adoption. And the Bible goes on to talk about it, how, in fact, in Romans 5, Paul, Paul talks about, he's like, maybe some people would die for a good man, right? But we find out about God's love for us in the Bible. We find out for his love for us and that he dies for us while we're still in our sin. That Christ dies for the ungodly. So we're not talking about a pristine adoption where we're hoping to mold some person. We're talking about the kind of adoption where the adopter knows they're in trouble from day one. That's the image we get in the Bible. God goes after sinners. He goes after people who've messed up. Some of us look at our lives, we say, wow, God stepped in pretty late. Let me mess a lot of things up before he stepped in. Why would that be? Well, I don't know. I know no expert on why God does the things that he does. But I know one thing, that he shows incredible grace by stepping into the lives of people who've stepped in a lot of other things. We see that throughout the scriptures. God loves to redeem broken people. 
And then it says there's some Bible speak here. It says it's according to the purpose of his will. And, you know, that's how it's written in Greek and stuff, and that's how we translate it in English, according to the purpose of his will. But let me break that down. I've done this before. Let me break that down to what it very simply means. It's, a, it's just a fancy way to say, because he wanted to. It's a very fancy way to say, this is what God really wanted to do. Why did God go and adopt people like us to be his own children and deal with our sin and accept us into his house with all of, his pro- all of our problems and all of the junk that we bring with us? Because he, that's what he wanted to do. It, he, in other words, he did it to make himself happy. In other places, it talks about him doing these things according to his pleasure, <laughs> which goes even further. But I, I, I want to say this. I, I bring that up. I want to say this about the Easter story. The Easter story, the story of Jesus dying and rising from the dead, it's not a self-contained story. It's the climax of a very, very big story. In fact, I've said many times, the Bible, the Bible has a lot of complicated stuff in it. The Bible has a lot of complicated stories in it. But the big picture of the Bible tells quite a simple story about God creating people for himself, his people falling into sin, the world falling into death, and God seeking to restore it to life. A very simple story. And him promising to and following through to, to restore it through the work of Jesus Christ, his son. That's the story of the Bible from beginning to end. God restoring a broken world, a world broken through sin and death. And so what does he do? He defeats sin and death on the cross. Jesus dies for our sin, and in dying for our sin, since he deals with our sin, he defeats death rising from the grave so that you and I can live free from the burden of our sin. It's all about sin and death. It's all about forgiveness and life. And so Easter is the climax of a story where the main character makes his own dreams come true. And the main character is God, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's a great way to think about the Bible. The main character is God, and it's a story about him making his dreams come true. <laughs> that everything you see happening in the Bible is God making what he wants to happen come to be in, in the world. And that's our rescue from sin and death. Uh, Continuing, Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to look verses 7 through uh, just to 10. And there's a lot we can say about these verses, but I have some specific stuff I want to look at. Verse 7, it says, In Him, talking about Jesus, In Him we have redemption through His blood, Uh, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And uh, actually, verse 10 is where I want to take us to start. He talks about a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things. There's, there's another phrase that when translated sort of leaves us wanting. He says, he says a plan for the fullness of time. What he's saying is, it's, this, is the, this is what the world is about. This is the, the, the plan that makes sense of everything that's happening in the world. And he's saying, in Jesus, we're seeing God's plan. What is life in the world all about? It's God's plan unfolding. And what does Jesus do? He unites all things. You know, what what does that mean? And I, I think a very simple way to think of it is through sin, the world 
and its people, all of us individuals who are part of this world, are fractured, are broken, are falling apart in such a way that it can't be fixed. There's, there's, there's no amount of uh, adhesive or hammering or, or anything that's going to put it all back together. And then Christ comes in power, and through his life, death, and resurrection, he unites what was fractured in the world. He makes it possible so that God and his creation, the pinnacle of which is, are, are his people, can become united through the work of Jesus Christ. So when I say that the Easter story is the climax of a story where God, the main character, makes his dreams come true, I really mean it. And the Bible confirms that, that what God is doing in Christ is, is, is uh, bringing his people back together. So I said that my risen hope, Jesus, he's eager. He's an eager embracer of sinful people. I also said he's a gracious embracer of sinful people. You look at verse 7 here in Ephesians 1.7. It says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to, his riches, according to the riches of his grace. And so it says right here, we're redeemed, that is we're rescued and healed and brought back to life through his blood. And there's nothing uh, magic about the blood. What it's talking about is the death that he died on our behalf. And so when it says here that we're redeemed through his blood, it's talking about the cross of Jesus Christ. That he died for us so that we could have all of our sins and trespasses forgiven. And why did God do all that? It was according to the riches of his grace. And uh, this is a beautiful thing about God. When we think about God being gracious... We need to recognize something. It's not us doing things in order to make God be gracious or to convince God to be gracious. Right? Because, you know, you're dealing with people or the law <laughs> or governments or whatever it is. Uh, grace is something we often want to elicit from someone. Right? Or you want to try to... to, uh, to um, soften someone's sense of you so that you could bring grace out of them, right? You want to change one's disposition. What we find in the Bible is that God himself decided to do all of these things out of the riches of his grace. It's in his nature to redeem people. It's in his nature to forgive people and make them his own. That's a powerful thought. It's not something that we try to talk God into. It's something that bursts out of God because it's in his nature. Riches of grace flowing. That's where this plan of redemption came from. It's always important to remember, and this is true when we read the Old Testament, God is always the one initiating ways to be closer to his people. We see that in the Old Testament sacrificial system, that God gives it to them as a detailed instruction so that they can live close in proximity to God as he's, he's dwelling in his tabernacle or his tent at the center of the, the encampment of the people of Israel or the center of the country, the nation. God is giving instruction so that people can be close to him. In the New Testament, the gospel itself is our instructions on how we can be in close relationship with God. All of that flows out of the riches of his grace. It's something he does. And then I, I, I said also there, he's an eager, gracious embracer of sinful people. 
We see a little illustration of this. Even while Jesus, you know, we, we, can, we can look at verses of the Bible that just tell us that Jesus loves us just the way we are. We have plenty of things like that. But we can see an example of what Jesus was like when he was walking in the world. I want you to look with me. Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. This is just a little glimpse into what Jesus was like in his earthly ministry. And if this was what he was like in his self-limiting state, in his earthly ministry, how much more is he like this uh, at work in the world today with his work having been accomplished on the cross? It says, as Jesus passed out from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Now just to pause there, uh, being a tax collector was so bad that even Jesus used to use the phrase tax collector as an insult. <laughs> yeah, like, like it's, it's like a way, it's like a substitute for saying scum of the earth, right? Or dirt bag, you know? <laughs> Even Jesus used, used the, the, the phrase tax collector as an insult. And so that's what Matthew is. And by the way, there's a reason this, that, that um, uh, Matthew's gospel is called Matthew. It's because it's that guy, the tax collector, who wrote it. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in his house, <laughs> Jesus, Jesus, this is how Jesus says, he, he says, follow me. And then he invites himself over to your house. <laughs> Listen, my experience with Jesus, that's really what he's like. He just, he just, get, it just meddles in your life, eats your food. Makes you do things you don't want to do, but you're just, you're glad that you know him. You wouldn't trade it for anything. As Jesus, okay, so verse 10, as, and as Jesus reclined at table in the house, it's so funny, he just, of course you're, okay. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. So look at that, Matthew's a tax collector, he's a dirtbag, and all of his friends are dirtbags. And so that's who comes to recline with Jesus. I love how they say it's, doesn't it sound so cool? Like they're reclining. I don't know, it just makes them sound like, uh, I don't know, cool. <laughs> like he doesn't just go to your house, he reclines at your table. Verse 11, <laughs> like with a chalice. Gold teeth, no, no. That's not accurate, that's not accurate. Verse 11, and when Jesus, and when the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? That's how they said it. Verse 12, and when he heard it, he said, those, are, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Uh, this, this verse doesn't tell us a little bit about Jesus' life and ministry. Uh, it, it, it gives us a huge picture of what Jesus was like and what he was like to deal with. He, he is an eager gracious embracer of sinful people. And if he wasn't, I wouldn't have anything to say to you today. And none of us would. So my risen hope is an eager, gracious embracer of sinful people. That's the first thing I want to tell you about Jesus. My next points are, are shorter, I promise. Second, my risen hope is a resurrected new creation maker. I'm not sure how to punctuate that, but I did my best. My risen hope is a resurrected new creation maker. Two thoughts about this really quick. Jesus' resurrection is the confirmation of his victory over death. 
Romans 4.25 says, He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. The, the image there being that He died for our sins and then His resurrection, in fact, uh, some people have put it this way, that the resurrection, I, I love this saying, and I think it's good. The resurrection is God the Father's amen to Jesus, it is finished. So on Good Friday, Jesus Jesus lets out with his final breath. He says, it is finished. What's finished? His sacrifice for, for our sins, past, present, future, forever. His work of teaching his death on the cross as a sacrifice so that you and I could be forgiven, it's finished. We never have to bear our sin again because Jesus bore it to the uttermost so that we could be saved through faith in him. And so the saying goes, uh, the resurrection is the Father's way of saying amen to Jesus saying it is finished. Because Jesus so completely died for our sins, He was qualified and capable of raising from the dead. Because with sin dealt with, there's no reason to stay dead anymore. Remember, the Bible, the Bible portrays it this way. The only reason there's death in the world is because sin brought death into the world. And the Bible has this concept that we're born into a dead world and that we find real life through Jesus, and that sets us free. So his resurrection is the confirmation of his victory over sin. Second, his resurrection envisions, clarifies, and realizes what he does in the lives of his disciples. He raises them from the dead. It's not that he merely gives people a second chance. He gives people a new life. It's a new creation. We talk about this on Friday. If you're in Christ Jesus, you're a new creation. And here's the thing. If you've been a new creation for, for 10 seconds or 10 years or 10 decades and you're super old, if you've been in Christ for a, for a little while or for a long while or you're on your way there, the evidences of being a new creation can, will continue to flourish and flower in your life. So you become a new creation and you know something's different. As one person once told me, it's like an air conditioner goes off in your soul. Suddenly there's new life and breath. You're free from your sins. You sense that newness. Maybe you sense the presence of God. All people uh, experience that in all different ways. But let me tell you, no matter how, wh whether you were a new person from that day forward, I've known people like that. They come to Jesus and nobody even recognizes them anymore. It's amazing. And none of the people, they come to Jesus, they've known the blessing of the gospel, but they struggle, they slip, they fight, they fall. It's, it's, it's messier for them. However it looks for you and whatever you've gone through in your walk with the Lord, for long or for short, I can tell you this, that being a new creation is something that you'll continue to experience as you pursue God in your life over and over again until the day you die and stand before Him as a new creation. And that's where we started today. That because Jesus died and rose from the grave, we are, our hope is ever new in Christ Jesus. That whatever you're facing in your life today, whether it's uh, sin that's assailing you, or hopelessness, or discouragement, or some circumstance that seems impossible, fresh hope for new days in Christ are always there. Never let yourself buy the lie and get into a place where you feel like you've seen all that the Lord can do in your life. We are, we are way too small, our lives are way too short to exhaust all of the things that God is capable of doing in our lives. The Bible says His mercies are new every morning. It's absolutely true. <laughs> this is such a weird... I love sharing my weird, dark secrets with you. No, I don't. It's just I feel compelled to, and then after church I go, oh, why did I say that? 
Um, it's true. <laughs> Almost every Sunday for the last, I don't know how long, a long, long time uh, since I was young, I, I, uh, I, I go home thinking, oh, did I have to tell them that? <laughs> did I have to do that? Right. Um, I actually, I went to bed feeling kind of down and frustrated, and I had a nightmare, and in the nightmare, I did all these horrible things and then had to face the consequences in my nightmare, right? And, and I was feeling kind of discouraged and like, like just like not, you know, not wanting to do anything. I wasn't even excited about Easter when I went to bed. I was in a bad mood. And I wake up in the middle of the night, and I'm like, Oh, thank God that was enough. I really didn't do that. That's so good. I don't know about you, but I'm, you know, I'm a messed up guy. I, I worry, like, what if I do this, right? So I, like, I could do that. So I, I go to sleep, and I have this nightmare that I did all these things, and I'm facing the consequences. I wake up, and I go, wow, my life is really awesome. <laughs> and the other thing is, right before bed, I was just praying, and I was, I, I'm learning more and more. As I get older, I learn more about how much of a child I am. And I know that sounds funny, but I mean it. That, you know, we're to, we're to be as children before the Lord. And I, I think we go through phases in our maturity. We grow up, we get more mature in our relationship with God, and we, we start to feel like, like Christian adults. We know how to handle things. And then, and then all of a sudden you turn a corner and you don't feel like a Christian anything. You start to realize, oh man, I, I need to approach God as a child more. And, and I, I was having that kind of experience. I was praying and I didn't have any words for the Lord other than help me, help me, help me. Lord, I need you to do a work in my heart. And, and so what does God do? He gives me a terrifying nightmare. <laughs> because, because he's gracious. He knows exactly how to encourage you. Like, oh, that's exciting. Thank you. No, it's true. So my risen hope is a resurrected new creation maker. And here's my last point. And this may seem a little anticlimactic for my last point, but I think this is helpful. Here talking about, and, and what, I, what I meant to say with this uh, resurrection uh, new creation maker, when you come to Jesus, he changes your life. He really does. He does incredible things. New priorities, uh, a new sense of, of things. It changes things. But here's my third point. My risen hope knows what real regular people are like. <laughs> you know, I've been saying all these crazy things today, and that's my closing point for today. No, but I, I want you to understand. Uh, what happens when you come to Jesus? It's transforming. Your priorities change. Your, it changes uh, uh, your life around. But all those things are true. I don't want to downplay that. If you give, give your life to Jesus, or even if you're a Christian and you've been holding your parts of your life back. <laughs> you, you've, been hold, you've been giving him a little bit of commitment or, or minimal, and it's time for you to really give yourself to him fully. Or if you're, you're not a Christian, it's time for you to respond to the gospel. When you give your life over to him, it's transforming. It changes your priorities. It, 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 your, the, the way your life is organized changes. But it's for regular people. Uh, Jesus himself said it. He didn't come for people who didn't need him. And of course, he's saying that to the Pharisees who he thinks are such jerks. And so he's saying, like, oh, you guys are so perfect, you don't need me. Meanwhile, every chance he gets, he's berating them for how sinful they are, right? <laughs> so it's kind of a trick. There's nobody who doesn't need him. There's not a single person who doesn't desperately need his grace in his or her life. And so when we say, my risen hope 
knows what regular real people are like. What I'm saying is this, even you can have your life changed by Jesus. Even I can have my life changed by Jesus. There's no special requirement. You don't have to be especially good or fantastically bad so that the story sounds better. <laughs> you could be a, a regular, upstanding, moral person and Jesus will still turn your life upside down when you give your life to Him. And so I want to encourage you with that this morning. Um, and this is the message of the Gospel. Jesus rose from the grave so that we don't have to stay in ours. I said sin came into the world and sin brought death. We all enter into a dead new world when, when we, we enter this world. Through faith in Jesus, we find new life, new hope uh, that's found in no one else and found nowhere else. Hey, can I ask you to stand? Our band's going to come back. So I've told you about my risen hope, our risen hope. I want to give you a chance uh, just briefly to respond to that. I, I said it's, 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 uh, when you talk about Jesus, it's, it's a different kind of memorializing because He's there to meet you at the end. And so this afternoon before we, uh, before we dismiss, I want to give you a chance in your own words, in your own way, to humbly go before Jesus. And maybe, that's, maybe, that, maybe you've been walking with Jesus for a while. You're a Christian. Maybe today's a day to reintroduce yourself <laughs> to Jesus and say, uh, here I am. I want to offer myself afresh uh, with new commitment, with new um, dedication to give my life over to you afresh. And Jesus always welcomes that. Or maybe for you this afternoon, it's to come to Jesus and, and introduce yourself. <laughs> he knows you. <laughs> um, but maybe it's time for, for you to know Him. And uh, that's a very simple thing to do. Je Jesus can accept the, the feeblest, most broken up of prayers if you come to Him with a humble heart that's willing to surrender and receive the free gift that He's offering you. And how do we receive that free gift? By coming humbly and putting our faith in Jesus as our risen Savior, our always new treasure, and as our wonderful servant King. And so I'm going to give us all a chance as Matt begins to play, just to go before the Lord in silence, in silent prayer. And this is a chance for you to go before Jesus and pour your heart out in prayer. For you to say to Him what needs to be said, and for you to receive from Him all that He wants to give you. Jesus died to give you a new life. My encouragement to you today is to accept it. Receive it as your own. Let's go before the Lord in prayer, and then I'll pray together with us. Thanks for listening. We would love for you to join us for worship this Sunday in New City, New York. For details, go to SaviorCC.com.